If you missed last week, we're going to go back and read the scripture because we really didn't get through very far. But basically, here's the situation. Jonah was a prophet. He was a real guy. And God came to him with a very difficult message. And that message was, I want you to arise. I want you to get up. And I want you to go to Nineveh. Because what you need to know is, it's a great and wicked city. And I know about it. I know all about it. It's not a thing that happens that I don't know. And I'm sending you to go and preach to them. And Jonah did get up, but he didn't go to Nineveh. In fact, he went the opposite direction. There's a little map on your handout that you can see in there. And you can see where Nineveh is on the far right-hand side of the page. And instead, he went to Joppa. Now, Joppa's not very far. It's a it's modern-day Jaffa. It's near modern-day Tel Aviv. It's a port city on the Mediterranean coast. He went to Joppa, and he found a ship there that was headed to the city of Tarshish. Now, there were a number of cities named Tarshish, but based on the story, to the best of our understanding, the Tarshish that he was going to was probably the one you see on the far left-hand side of the map. Now, if you'll look at that, you'll notice that's in exactly the opposite direction. Instead of going where God told him to go, to do what God told him to do, he instead chose to go the other direction, as far as he could get from the call of God on his life. So we left him last week on the ship. He's booked passage to go to Tarshish. And so that's where we want to pick up this morning. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to begin here in Jonah chapter 1. And let's just hear this story Again, these are the verses we we read last week, and we will reread them this morning. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, and he went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of of the Lord. That's important. Keep, keep that phrase in mind that he's going, trying to go away from the presence of the Lord. All right. So now we pick up. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and they cried out each to his own God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and he said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Let's hang on there for a moment. Let's take a look at this. Jonah's trying to get away from the call of God, but he's also trying to get away from the presence of God. Keep that in mind. So he gets on this ship to go as far away from God as he can possibly get. Now, God has already told him that I know everything that's going on over in Nineveh. And and Jonah was no dummy. He was a prophet of God. He had some concept as to who God was and what God was able to do. And yet, in this foolish attempt, he gets on a boat to try to get away from God. 
But it says the Lord hurled a storm. Now, we don't know exactly what time of year this was, but there were certain times that you'd sail on the Mediterranean Sea and certain times that you wouldn't. We have an example of that in Acts as we look at the life of Paul, and he tries to give them some advice to stay in harbor. But They set out in the worst possible season to sail. But we can assume that these were Phoenicians, probably Phoenician sailors, businessmen traveling back and forth, trying to, to do their business. And so they're used to this. Phoenicians were people of the sea. They, they had no problem being out on the water. And they'd probably seen all kinds of storms in their life. But I'm not sure they've ever seen a storm quite like this. It says this storm was so bad that these men who were making their money, carrying cargo from one place to another, decided we better get rid of the cargo. We, we got to throw this stuff overboard. We got to get rid of all this because it's weighing down the ship and we need as much buoyancy as we can get so we can stay on top of the water because right now a lot of the water is on top of us. So they're in a mess and they come to a point where they begin to understand the priorities of life. That life might be a little more important than making money. And so they began to throw all the cargo overboard. Sailors are scared. So they cried out to their gods. Now, let's understand here, their understanding of God and our understanding of God are a little bit different. They believed in a multitude of gods. They believed that there were gods who governed the waters and gods who were up in the mountains. And there were gods who were out on the plains. And there were gods in the air and gods under the ground. And there were all kinds of gods. And so they're crying after their gods. And this is kind of like a multiple choice test. And they're just clicking all of the above. Hey, you call out to yours, you call out to yours, you call out to yours. Let's call out to God and see if we can get the right one. And maybe if we hit on the right one then we'll get this mess straightened out because we're, we're in a heap of trouble here, boys. We're taking on water. The ship's about to break apart. We're going down. Now, everybody's in a panic. Everybody's in turmoil except for one guy, Jonah. Where is he? He's fast asleep. He's gone down into the inner part of the ship. We don't know if this is a cabin or whether he went down and nestled in among the supplies that were being transported from one place to another. We're really not sure. But he went and he had bedded down and he'd gone fast asleep. Now, you go, how in the world could a man sleep with all that ruckus going on? Well, you wives, you know how. Happens at your house all the time, right? All kinds of noise going on. Now, I want to give Jonah a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here. It's about a 60-mile trek to get from Gath Heifer to Joppa. Now, for us, big deal. We hop in the car, hit the road, we're there in an hour. Not so then. Probably took the trek on foot. If you kind of do a little calculation here, that means it took him maybe 17 to 20 hours to walk it, which means it's more than a day's travel. Two days, maybe even two and a half, depending on how healthy he was and what the, what the terrain was like. And so maybe two, two and a half days to get there. So by the time he got there, he would be physically tired. You can also expect the man would be emotionally wrung out. I mean, he had just made a decision to change everything in his life. 
This is one of the big stressors in life when you're changing everything. He's left behind, perhaps family. He's left behind his country. He's left behind his calling. He's left behind his good name. You would expect that he'd be emotionally just you know, all the tension that was bound up in him as he traveled from, from uh, Gath Heifer down to Joppa. And then, of course, there's the spiritual anguish. He was turning his back on God. And that's a big deal. Some of you have been there before. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You know that God has spoken in your life. God has moved in your life. God has touched your life. God has called you to something. And you have at least delayed, if not completely denied that call. And you know the spiritual stress that you were under as you carry that. There's a, a guilt that just bears down on you. Because you know you're not where God wants you to be. So maybe it's a little more understandable that having felt that he'd escaped for a little while, that somehow down there in the hold of that ship, he was getting away from the eyes of God, getting away from the call of God, and on his way to getting away from the presence of God, maybe, just maybe, it caused him to fall in this deep, deep sleep. That was until the captain showed up. Remember, they're trying to get everything out of the ship. And so they're going down and they're handing stuff up and they're throwing it overboard. One thing at a time. Let's throw it overboard. And finally he reaches down and he pulls the sack out of the way. And what do you know? There's Jonah. The guy that just paid him to take him all the way to Tarshish. He's down here asleep. And he says, get up. Interesting. Same words that God used. To call Jonah, arise, get up. What do you mean you're sleeping? Arise and call out to your God. Maybe we haven't checked the right box yet. Maybe we haven't called out to the right God yet. Why are you down here asleep when we are in so much trouble? And I don't want to over-spiritualize a point. But I sometimes wonder if God has the same attitude towards us, the church. When we look at the mess that the world is in, in complete turmoil and chaos all around us, and yet we, maybe not asleep physically, but asleep spiritually, asleep emotionally, asleep passionately, that we don't, we don't look out and see that and, and do something. Again, I don't over-spiritualize it. That might be taking a step over. Either way, he was down there. And he was called on, cry out to your God. Cry out to your God. Cry out to your God. And if you'll look carefully here in chapter 1, you never hear or see Jonah pray. Read it. Go back. You have an absolute pagan coming and telling Jonah, hey, you better get up and pray. But there's no indication in here that Jonah ever prayed. There's no indication that he, you know, sometimes we have those Hail Mary prayers. I'm in trouble. God, help me out. Catch this one. We have those in case of emergency, break glass kind of prayers. We have those prayers that all we can get out is help. There's no indication that Jonah even did that. But I got to tell you, when you're living in rebellion, 
and you know you're living in rebellion, you don't want to pray. You want to do exactly what Jonah did. You want to get away from it all and hide from God. Now we look at this and we go, Jonah, that is the most foolish thing I have ever heard of anybody doing in my life. And yet, how many, of, how many of you, even today, can look at your life and say, no matter all the stuff I'm facing, I haven't taken it to God. Because I know that at least part of what I'm facing is because of things I'm doing, the way I'm living, living in rebellion against God. And these are consequences that keep coming on. And I know God, I know I need to go to God. I know I need to confess it. I know I need to repent it, but I don't want to go to God. Because God might peel back this, this layer that I've put on my life. He might open that up and He might expose underneath my rebellious heart. And I just, no. So maybe I'll say God is great, God is good, let us thank Him for the food over a meal. But that's about as far as it gets. I really don't want to be alone with God. Can I tell you the truth? In my own personal testimony, let me tell you this. It's a dangerous thing to get alone with God. Because when you're alone with God, He begins to expose the things that you think were hidden for so long. Things you think you've buried. Things you think you've escaped. But when you get alone with God, He sits down with you and He says, Son, daughter, Let's sort through these things. Let's pull them all out. Let's deal with it. Jonah didn't pray. And at some point, the sailors realized they've done everything they can do. They've thrown stuff overboard. They've prayed. They've cursed. They've done everything they can do. They're scared to death. These are seasoned sailors. They're scared to death. They don't think they're ever going to see their families again. They don't think they're ever going to see dry land again. All they think they're going to do is go down to the bottom of the, of the sea. And so their last hope is to find out who's responsible. So let's take a look at that. If you've got, uh, got your Bibles here, verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let's cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. And so they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you've done to us? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Let's, let's, let's hang on right there. So they're in a pickle, and they want to know who's responsible because obviously they've done everything they could do, and so in their thinking there's somebody here who's guilty, and we need to find out exactly who this person is so that we can figure out from them what we need to do, or maybe we can all join together and find out who that person's God is and that God that they ticked off so that we can all come together and go petition that God to fix things around here. And so they, find, they, they cast lots. For us, it'd be kind of like drawing straws, okay, flipping a coin. 
There are a number of ways it could have been done. One of the ways was to use uh, sheep knuckles. I didn't even know sheep had knuckles until I looked it up. And, and what they would do is they'd have a number of, uh, one of, possible anyway, one of the things they could do is they'd have a number of, of sheet knuckles and they may have one that was discolored from the rest. And, and that was kind of the, the black ball. That was kind of the, the indicator that this was the guilty person. And so they, they, they might have come around and, and all grabbed in and out of this bag of sheep knuckles and however it came about, when the lot was cast, it was Jonah who was found guilty. And again, God can even use, listen, God can even use the ridiculous decision-making of pagans to get an answer he wants, which should make you all feel really, really good about the upcoming election. <laughs> the lot came to Jonah. And so they begin to pepper him with questions. Who are you? Where are you from? What's, is this your fault? What do we do to get out of this? Now, Jonah, at some point in this story, had already told them, and we don't have it recorded here, it already told them that, that he was running from God. But maybe some of them were too. So they may not have thought too much about this because in a lot of ways, most people you know are running from God. But then he begins to say, okay, this, this is who I am. I'm, I'm a Hebrew. <laughs> I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. Now, what he may have meant by that is, I, I worship the Lord. I worship Yahweh. But you and I read that and we go, well, hang on. <laughs> you fear the Lord? You fear the Lord. And who is this Lord? He is the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And it says when Jonah says this, the men were exceedingly afraid. Now you can imagine they would be. I mean, they understand there are a bunch of gods around there and some are bigger gods and some are smaller gods. But what Jonah's just told them is, I'm not just running from this God of this little hill over here. I'm not just running from this regional God over here. I am running from God with a big G. I am running from the Creator. I'm running from the God who made land and sea. And they looked at each other and said, what kind of an idiot is this? What? What could possibly, how could he possibly think he can run from this God? He's not a regional God. He's not a God of this or that. He's a God of everything. And you need to hear this because this is true for so many. Jonah's theology was disconnected from his life. Look at what he says. I fear the Lord. Jonah, would you like to check your immediate surroundings and tell me that again? I fear the Lord. And I know who He is. He's a creator. He made the heavens and the earth. He made the land and the sea. I know exactly who He is. And yet we look at that and we go, if you actually believe that, why are you here? 
Have you ever had anybody in your life tell you the same thing? You say you're a Christian. You say you love the Lord. You post it on Facebook every other week. But look at where you are. Does your theology match your decisions? Does your theology have anything to do with your life? Your understanding of who God is and how you relate to God, it should permeate everything that you do. Every decision we make, every every word we speak, it should be saturated in an understanding of who God is and what God's call is on your life and who you are in Christ. Separating theology from life is a, is a dangerous thing. And that's where Jonah was. And that's where some of you are. And you're wondering why the turmoil, why the chaos, why there's no peace. Can I tell you why there's no peace in your life if you're living in rebellion? It's real simple. Because God hasn't given up on you yet. You see, it wasn't just that it just so happened while they were out there on the water. Storm came up. What did it say? The Lord hurled. It's, it's, it's like he's the relief pitcher in the ninth inning. And he's out on the mound and he's in his windup and he's hurling the storm onto the sea. This is God's doing. But it wasn't just to punish Jonah. It wasn't to punish the sailors. It was to actually rescue him from himself. And many of the things that are going on in your life and you wonder why God, why God, why God, why God, it may well be that the reason God is allowing this storm in your life is to rescue you from yourself. Well, let's move on with the story. Jonah was pegged as a guilty party. There's nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. Where could he go? And so they said, hey, Jonah, what do we, what do, we do in order to fix this. What, what is it that we're going to do? So let, let's, let's pick up there in verse, verse 11. They make the numbers smaller than the letters. Verse 11. Then they said to him, What shall we do that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Great word. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard back to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord. They've changed gears here. Did you notice that? Before they were crying out to their gods. Now they're crying out to the Lord. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And so they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. 
Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. A few things in here you really need to note, and one of them is that the pagan sailors, the pagan sailors had more respect for life and God than Jonah did his prophet. Their thinking is, listen, you've already ticked this God off. We don't want to tick him off more by throwing his prophet into the sea. So they got to the oars and they unfastened them and they began to pull as hard as they could on those oars to try to get that ship back to dry land. Preferably back to Joppa to start this whole mess over. But they couldn't do it because God was still up there winding up. And here's another pitch. Hey, you think you're getting out of this? No way. And he keeps throwing more and more at them. And the storm becomes worse and worse. And you imagine the sailors getting more and more frightened. They're doing everything they can do. And absolutely nothing is working. And so they finally relent. And they go to Jonah's God, they go to the Lord, and they say, Lord, hey, listen, this is our only way out. It's the only thing we know to do. We're doing what your prophet told us to do. Please don't hold this against us. And over the side, Jonah went and into the water. Jonah had refused. He'd refused to get up and go to a pagan city. And so... He does, you know, the smartest thing anybody can do, and he goes to get on a boat with a bunch of pagans. He's trying to get away from the call of God on his life. To get away from the presence of God. And he's down there asleep. Everything's going on around him. He's asleep. Here comes the storm. All this is, all this is taking place. Finally, when Jonah goes over, the only thing he has told them is what it is that he says he believes about God And he was even a hypocrite about that. And yet what happens on the ship? Something akin to revival. When God shows up, calms the storm. I mean, one moment it's just all over the place and everywhere they look are walls of water and the next it dies down. They look at this and they go, you know what, guys? That God of Jonah's, we better trade up. That God you've been worshiping, that God of the hill back home, you better, you better trade up. That God of the river, the creek that runs by your house, buddy, you better trade up. Because we have met God today. And He's real. It says they called on the Lord. They did more than that. They made offerings, sacrifices to the Lord. They did more than that. They made vows. To the Lord. You know, it's one thing to make a vow to the Lord in the middle of a crisis, but it's another to make a vow to the Lord when the crisis is past. We're good at making mid crisis vows, promises to the Lord. Lord, if you get me out of this, then I'll do this. But here they are on the other side of the storm. Here they are in the clear. And it's at that point they say, okay, Lord. Let me me tell you what my commitment's going to be to you from this point out. But Jonah, don't think that Jonah was being magnanimous, noble, when he asked the guys to throw him over. Don't think that he was confessing and repenting. That wasn't Jonah's motivation. 
his, he was in despair. He, was in, he had a death wish. He was so determined to get away from the call of God on his life and the presence of God in his life. The conviction was so deep and so overpowering that instead of relenting, he'd rather die. I'd rather die than give up my will. I'd rather die than give up my plans. I'd rather die than relent to the call of God on my life. I've met in the course of my 54 years a handful of people, probably at most, who knew God had a call on their lives. But they wouldn't relent. You see, they had their own plans. They had their own directions. They had their own goals. They had their own things that they wanted to do. And I think of one in particular who's told me over and over again, I know the Lord's called me into ministry. I know the Lord's called me into ministry. I know the Lord's called me. But how, how am I going to take care of my family? How am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to make this house payment? We got in this house and I'm upside down. How am I going to make these house payments? How am I going to do all this if I'm going to follow God? I, I can't do it. I, I just got to keep doing what I'm doing and hope it gets better. Maybe some of you. What's God called you to? What's He spoken into your life? He may have caught your attention this morning with the little video we showed, and you said, Hey, listen, I know God wants me to do something as simple as step up and try to be involved in the lives of children and teenagers here at Grace Fellowship. And you know it. God's kind of just stirring it in you, and yet, God, you know. I, I got things I want to do. I, it, that takes time. And I may have to study some. I, I, re, I don't even like books. I don't even like people. But God, he's, He just won't leave you alone. Might be something else. Might be that God's called you into full-time ministry. And you know it. He's been working on you. He's been pulling you. He's been drawing you. You've just said, no, God. Maybe God's been calling you to Louisiana. You felt the prompting of the Spirit to, that you need to be down there doing something, and you don't even know what it is. But God just won't leave you alone about it. When you choose to live outside of God's will for you, you invite storms. When you choose to live outside of God's will from you, you rob yourself of that being, of the awareness of God's presence in your life. He's there. You haven't gotten away from Him. You just don't know it. And when you don't know the presence of God in your life, then you don't know peace in your life. And if you can't sleep at night, and there's no peace in your life, Maybe, just maybe, instead of saying no to God, you ought to say yes to Him. Now, while all this is taking place up on the ship, we want to look at this last verse right here, verse 17. 
And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And that's, that's where we're going to leave Jonah. We're going to let him marinate there. And we'll come back to him next week. That's as far as we can get today. So you're asking yourself right now, what happens next? That's as far as, that's all I know about the story. He got in the fish and, and that's it. And then, you know, he's sitting there with Pinocchio in the belly of a whale. That's all I know. There's a lot more to this story. There's a lot more about God in this story. There's a lot more about Jonah in this story. And quite frankly, there's a lot more about you in this story. And I hope that you'll be able to come back and connect and, and come to, to grasp this. But before we leave today, I just I pulled out some truths from last week and this week, and I think it's helpful. If you want to use your notes here and fill in the blanks, uh, you can do that. First of all, when your will and God's will are in conflict, you are wise to choose God's will. When your will and God's will aren't synced up, can I just encourage you, get on board with what God's doing. You won't regret it. Rebellion against the Lord's will is simply pretending that you are sovereign God. You don't think about it that way. But when you rebel against God's will, what you're saying, you're you're pretending to be God. You said, hey God, uh, could you get off that throne for a minute and let me sit there? I want to be in charge. Sin always has a price, and that price is always higher than advertised. You see, it wasn't just the price he paid to get on board the ship, which a Mediterranean cruise was probably a little pricey. It was also what he thought he'd left behind. Country, family, friends. He knew there was a price. He knew that. He just had no idea how high the price was. Whatever it is that is dangling in front of you as a temptation right now, can I just let you know the price is higher than on the sticker? When it comes time to check out, that's when you'll see the price. Fourth, what you truly believe about God will be revealed in how you live your life. You can say whatever you want to. You can say, I believe God is a God of mercy and love and forgiveness. But if you harbor bitterness, if you refuse to forgive, if you aren't loving, that tells you something about what you believe about this God. And people are going to believe what they see from you way more than they're going to believe what they hear from you. Why do you think it made the sailors so frightened? When Jonah says, hey, this is, this is the God I worship. Fifth, no matter how far you've run, God's waiting for you to turn to Him. Boy, you need to hear this. You, here, here's the theme when I read Jonah from cover to cover. The theme is mercy. Sometimes it's mercy in disguise, but it's mercy. It's not too late. You're living in rebellion right now, and you know it. You've been sitting in that seat squirming. And listen, that's a comfortable seat, but you've been squirming. It hasn't been comfortable for you. 
You're sitting there going, did somebody electrify this thing? And you know that you are not where God wants you to be. Don't be Jonah. You can turn back now. And then finally, God doesn't have to use you to accomplish His purposes. He chooses to use you. And that's what we're going to discover about the rest of this book. God didn't have to use Jonah. He could have said, you know what? Let that fish digest him and we'll go on and move on to the next guy. Next man up. But he chose to use Jonah. And he chooses to use you. This church, and I don't mean this local church, I mean this church universal, the church of Jesus Christ. That's God's plan A. What's God's plan B? There ain't one. This is it. He chooses to use us. He chooses to use you. Which should make you feel afraid and loved. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, He told His disciples, listen, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to my Father, but you need to know all authority on heaven and on earth, everything's been given to me. And therefore, this is what I want to give to you. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything that I've commanded you. And know this, I will be right there with you to the very end of the age. That's plan A. You're part of it. This morning, we're going we're gonna to sing a final song, and that's called an invitation song. And What are we inviting you to do? For some of you, it may be that you need to come and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You've never done that. You've never embraced Jesus and declared Him as Savior and Lord. You've never trusted in Him for your salvation. You've been trusting in you to be good enough. But God's been reminding you, hey, you'll never be good enough. And that's why I sent my son to die for you. A perfect sacrifice for your sin so that you might have life in me and through me forever. Some of you may need a church home, a place to connect, a place to belong, a place to be encouraged, a place to love and be loved. And if this is where God's called you to, then I invite you to come. Some of you who've been living in rebellion against God may just need to come and confess and repent, have a new start today. Some of you may need to go here and find somebody and say, hey, God's called me to do this. God's called me to do that. Put me to work. I'm volunteering. I'm, I'm first in line. But whatever it is that God's calling you to do, don't say no. Let's pray. Father God, thanks so much for this word. It's a story we heard as children, a story we've told our children and grandchildren. And yet it becomes fresh and real and new to us each time we read it. And so, Lord, as we hear this word and as we hear this challenge from your word, Lord, my prayer 
is that we would not be stubborn and hold on to our rebellion and hold on to our way, but God, we'd say yes to you. Not maybe, not tomorrow, but yes, Lord, now. God's word says today is the day of salvation. Lord, we believe that. That there are people in this very room who need to come to know your son as Savior. We believe that. And Lord, we ask that you would move them by the power of your Holy Spirit. There are those who need a place to come and belong, Lord, and you've called them here. And Would you move them? But Lord, I want to pray especially for those who know that there is an area or maybe the totality of their life that is outside of your will. And they just need to come and spend some time with you to get off the merry-go-round of life, to get their eyes off the storm, and to just come to you, Lord, and say, I'm sorry. Lord, I thank you so much that you're a God of mercy, a God of a second chance, a God who loves, a God who receives the prodigal, And Lord, I pray that you will let your prodigals come to you. And I know that you will run to them with arms open wide and receive them back. Lord, whatever it is that you call us to do, our answer is simply yes. In Jesus' name, amen.